Hello, and welcome to the Particular Baptist Podcast. My name is Daniel Vincent, here with my co-host Sean Cheatham. Um, You can check us and other podcasts out at reformpodcast.com. Also, check out our blog at theparticularbaptist.net. If you're watching on YouTube and have not yet subscribed, hit that subscribe button and hit the bell to be notified when new videos come out. I want to mention a couple of things, um, but a couple announcements before we dive into our topic this evening. Number one, um, I know with the the whole James White controversy, there have been some that have asked uh, for clarification on what the issues are, um, and we will be putting out a blog post hopefully next weekend, uh, kind of fleshing out you know some of those issues with relating to James White and the doctrine of God. Um, so be patient with us. We'll be coming out with something here soon to hopefully clarify some of that. And I did respond to at least some of you in the comments um, on that post that I put. So hopefully that will be helpful. Um, but keep on the lookout for that for next weekend. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have a blog post out that will hopefully clarify that further. Um, and number two, I had announced this a little while back, but we are continuing to work on our book project. Um as you know, uh, we're looking at writing a book on the doctrine of God, uh, introducing it for young children. Uh, we're working on that, it's taking our time, but uh, making progress. We have a table of contents out, um, and we're fi- we finalize assignments on who's going to write what. Um, so we're working on getting that scheduled out and, and what that's going to look like. So please keep us in prayer as we um, as we work through this, um, it's a timely, it's timely that it's coming out now, especially with all of these, uh, these revised discussions on the Trinity and, and the doctrine of God. So, um, it, I think it's good timing, but keep us in prayer, uh, that we would, uh, speak truthfully in this book, that we'd be able to present it to children in a way that is understandable and that parents can present to their, uh, children, these fundamental issues of the faith. Um, so please keep us in prayer as we, continue on that, and we'll provide more updates um, as we go along. Um, but with that, let's get to our topic tonight. We're going to be continuing on in, in Orthodox Catechism. Um, we're skipping chapter 8, and the reason we're skipping chapter 8 is because um, we talked about this topic. It's on the Lord's Supper. Chapter 8 is dedicated to the Lord's Supper. But we spent quite a bit of time in an earlier chapter Excuse me, I don't remember what chapter it was exactly, but in an earlier chapter we spent quite a bit of time talking about the Lord's Supper, and so we felt it wasn't really necessary to continue the discussion again. So we skipping, we're skipping chapter 8 and we're moving to chapter 9, which is called the third part of man's thankfulness, introductory questions, third part of man's thankfulness. Um, so with that, Sean's going to start us off with question 91. Now we're nearing the end of the book. Um, I think there's 12 chapters. Uh, yeah, there's 12 chapters, so we're almost done with our series on this. But Sean, go ahead and take it away. All right. So question uh, number 91. Whereas we are delivered from all our sins and miseries without any merits of ours by the mercy of God, only for Christ's sake, for what cause are we to do good works? Answer, because after Christ has redeemed us with his blood, he renews us also by his spirit to the image of himself that we receiving so great benefits should show ourselves all our lifetime thankful to God and honor him. Secondly, that every one of us be assured of his faith by his fruit. And lastly, that by our good conversation, we may win others to Christ. And this is a a very important question. 
Um, oftentimes you'll get unbelievers that'll pose the question, well, if you're, if you're saved by faith apart from good deeds, then why do good deeds at all then? But there's a fundamental problem with that, that question. Um, it basically has the presupposition that we should only do good deeds if we're going to get something out of it. Good work should flow from a desire to be obedient, not to earn salvation. And if you're doing it to earn salvation, it's not truly a good work. Uh, doing something to get something out of it uh, is doing it for selfish motivations, and thus it's not a good deed, at least in the truest sense. If we see a rich person donate to charity, we might think, oh, that's, that's a good thing that that person's done. And if we later find out that he had a son on the board of the charity and he was doing it to benefit him, all of a sudden our, our perception changes. It's like, oh, okay, well, he was doing it to, you know, for this corrupt motivation. The deed itself hasn't changed. He's still giving the money to the charity, but it's the change of motivations that make us recognize the deed either being good or bad or whatever. Um, and thus... It's the same with uh, doing good works. If you're doing good works to merit something, as opposed to doing good works because they're good and right and you want to do them, it's a completely different motivation. And for us, the reason we want to do good is because it's good. God has told us um, what is right, and we trust him. We uh, believe that he uh, knows what he's talking about, and we obey him. If one is born again, good is its own reward, and God is truly worthy of our obedience. The second part of the answer here that we should be uh, assured of our faith. Um, at first, this might seem like a selfish motivation. And for some, it, it could turn into a selfish motivation that, oh, I want to be assured of my faith. I'm, I'm going to do good works to do that. But ultimately, assurance of faith can be a blessing, right? That uh, if we're assured of our faith, we're more likely to live the Christian life better and we're more likely to do do better good. So assurance of faith can be seen. It's seen in that light as a, it's a good thing. We want to have assurance of faith so that we have that extra motivation to live the Christian life as we ought to and do good towards others. And that leads into the third part of the answer. Um, and of course, I've lost my spot in the notes. Um, oh, yeah. The third part of the answer that we're to do good um so that we might win others to Christ. Uh, aside from loving God, our second most important duty is to love our neighbor. Uh, so if our good deeds will cause our neighbor to see us as new creatures and inquire as to why we do the things that we do, this was, this gives opportunities to witness it, it, uh, to them directly or direct indirectly by the good works themselves. Um, and if we love our neighbor, we want to see them converted and saved. So we want to present that good face to them that they might see uh, the benefits of salvation. Um, and then I'd also like to add a fourth answer. Um, it's not explicitly mentioned in the catechism, but we do good works for our neighbor because our neighbor needs them. Uh, to quote Luther, God does not need your good works, but your neighbor does. While we do good works uh, to honor God, God doesn't need our good works in the sense that our neighbor does. He's, uh, he doesn't need anything. And even if um, there would be no one to glorify him, he's still glorious. He's glorious independent of man glorifying him. Um, he's, he's worthy whether or not any man recognizes it or not. But our neighbor uh, who is suffering very well might need our, us to help him. 
Um, so in that respect, we do good works to our neighbor um, because they're in need. And even if they are not saved, we should do it to them anyway because they are in the image of God. And we, like them, were sinners uh, and are sinners um, so that uh, it, we should still attempt to help our neighbor um, and love them. It doesn't say you should love your believing neighbor as yourself. It says you should love your neighbor as yourself. So we strive to do that. Did you have any uh, comments on that, Dan? Uh, yeah. No, I think it is it is very important that we understand the motive. Um, I think I remember, <laughs> I think it was the very first episode that we did was critiquing Leighton Flowers on uh, Calvinism and evangelism, if you recall. Mm -hmm. And then he did a response to it. And if I remember correctly, he was gawking at the idea that uh, why would you do, you know, evangelize so the glory of god says to do it so we evangelize um in order to glorify god because god commands us to do it right so the motivation is because we love god and because we want to glorify him it, and it's really out of and i think the question puts it very well it's out of thankfulness to god right show uh, should show ourselves with all lifetime thankful to god and honor him so it's flowing out of a changed heart realizing that we have been changed through uh, the gospel and out of thankfulness we want to obey god so it i guess you could say even from from a christian perspective it's a greater evil if we're sinning against god um with while being saved because we know better and we've been given much light and we've been given so much grace and then we're kind of throwing it back in god's face so it it really you know our, our heart motivation does matter when we're um, talking about good works Yes. All right. Question 92. Can they be saved who are unthankful and remain still careless in their sins and are not converted from their wickedness to God? Answer, by no means. For as the scripture bears witness, neither unchaste persons, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor robbers shall enter into the kingdom of God. So a couple proof texts that were provided for this. First Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And just to throw in verse 11, because it is so beautiful. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And then Ephesians 5, 5 through 6. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And then 1 John 3, 14 through 15. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God... Oh, is that the... Oh, I'm reading the exact same thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. I must have miscopied that. I apologize. I think that's probably still Ephesians 5. Um yeah, well, those two verses are, are plenty proof text for that. Um, 
and the uh, we have the, at, at first glance this might appear to contradict um, justification by faith because mm. we say we're justified by faith and then all of a sudden we're we're appealing to works um, uh, to say like you won't enter the or not appealing to works but appealing to somebody's righteousness uh, saying that that person won't uh, enter into the kingdom of God. And it's important to understand the distinction um, between uh, something evidencing your your salvation and being saved by it. Uh, nowhere in here is the statement made that we are justified be, or we shouldn't do these things because they unjustify us or they prevent us from being justified. We are still justified by faith. But these things evidence our salvation. I'm with James when he says, um, I will show you my faith by my works. That is what demonstrates my saving faith because I do these things. Um, and I have read a uh, run into people that say, well, if you're, if you're saying evidence of works is, uh, as evidence of salvation works or evidence of salvation, this is still salvation by works. Cause you're saying you still need to, to do these works in order to be saved. Um, and it's just really important to understand this distinction. We're not being um, justified by this at all. It, it doesn't justify us. We're justified by faith. This evidences our salvation. Um, that's that's all there is to it. And to any of those out there that would say that, that no, this is a violation of um, justification by faith, I, I have to point you back to the uh, the passages I read. Um, why does, why does Paul say that? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Um, if you're saying you're justified, uh, by faith, and that means you can look at sin as horribly as, as, uh, as anybody else in the world, and you're, you're running into a contradiction there. Um, a Christian evidences, uh, does good works and evidences his salvation because he is a new creature. He has been born again. He believes God and attempts to follow his law. Not that any of us will do that perfectly in this life, um, but a believer looks a certain way. So if that believer, if that person doesn't look that way, we can say safely that, well, you're either not saved or you've fallen into grievous sin and you need to come out of it. Um, I don't know if you mm -hmm. had any uh, comments about that. No, that's a good point about um, the difference between evidence, sin, or I'm sorry, uh, righteousness evidencing our faith and it uh, producing our faith, so to speak. Um, I think there are passages like in, I think it's Romans 2 that talk about, you know, those who are righteous or those who keep the law will um, essentially make it to heaven or make it to the end. And those verses on their face seem to imply that there is some sort of if then else, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you're righteous, you will get this. And I think you can look at it, you know, obviously using the context that's talking about faith alone as justifying us and making us right before God. But we can look at these passages as and say, well, yes, if I am righteous, I will make it, but not because of those works, because it will evidence itself. I'm I'm living out these things in my life as a result of the faith that I have that was given to me as a free gift. And therefore, I'm living out my life in uh, as a result of that, and I will make it to heaven. 
um, but not because of those works. So people who do live righteously will get to heaven, but not because of those works. And I think it's it takes um, looking at all of Scripture uh, as a whole and having a hermeneutic of, of in that sense that helps us to understand those verses. Because if you just take them um, in by themselves, then you will run into that error. Yeah, it's important we note that um, these verses are not prescriptive. It's not saying don't mm -mm. be a, uh, be righteous so that you get to heaven. It's descriptive. Right. It's saying that uh, no, uh, don't you know that fornicators and unclean persons, all these things, won't go to heaven. It's a description of people not going to heaven. It's not prescriptive saying don't be a fornicator um, or be be righteous in order to attain heaven. That's not what it's saying there. Right. Yep, running all kinds of problems if we do that. All right, question 93. Get to the right part here. There we go. In how many things does true repentance toward or conversion to God consist? It consists of the dying or mortifying of the old man and the renewing and quickening of uh, the new man. So this is really uh, talking about here uh, the doctrine of repentance. And it consists of the dying or mortifying of the old man in the renewing or quickening of the new man. Um, repentance is not only necessary for salvation. You know, we see this call from our Lord um, to repent and believe the gospel. We see in Acts chapter 2 that they were to repent and be baptized for the remission of their sins. So the call to repent is always coupled with um, the call to be saved or to have faith, right? Salvation and repentance and faith are all tied together. Um, so it's not only necessary there, but it's something that's to continue throughout the Christian's life. It's not something that you just do when you're saved, and then uh, you can just live how you want. No, repentance is an ongoing process that uh, takes place throughout our lives and is really an evidence of sanctification and is a probably the primary means of sanctification um, as it relates to us directly. And we see very clear examples of the call to live holy lives in the scriptures. Uh, Romans 6, 4 through 6, uh, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So very clearly here, there's the contrast between the old man who was a slave to sin and the new man who has crucified his sinful nature and lives in newness of life in accordance with the gospel. Um, this doesn't mean he's perfect, but this person has put aside the way that they live and, and said, I'm going to follow Christ. And they've united themselves in baptism, identifying themselves with Christ and uh, their lives are to change. Their lives are not to remain the same. Um, that's very clear here. There is a contrast made. Uh, Colossians three, five through 10. Uh, Therefore put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, 
wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So again, the contrast here, you're putting off the old man and you're putting on the new man. And Paul is speaking to Christians, and this is in the present tense. So he's speaking to Christians in how they are to live out their lives continuously. It's to be a continuous putting to death. It's not a one and done deal. It's a continuous thing that they are to do throughout their lives. Putting to death, uh, and Paul is not giving an exhaustive list of sins here, but he's giving an examples of things that we are to do. Evil desires and sins of the tongue, um, sins of uh, passion and and all sorts of different wicked things that we are to put away from us, uh, and we're to speak truth. We're to put on this new man uh, that uh, that we claim to uh, that we claim to have. Um, so it it is imperative, and and even the book of First John I think is very clear as well. Um, in giving going back to Sean's point about evidence of salvation, talking about uh, the good works as being evidence of those who claim to follow Christ. If you say this, then this should be your lifestyle. If not, then that means that your claim is false and you're a liar. Um, that's what we see very clearly in 1 John. Um, but we see the concept of, uh, of everything being given to Jesus Christ. Uh, when, when Christians come to him, we cannot come uh, half-heartedly. We cannot come to Christ um, with certain things that we're holding back in reservations. Uh, Christ says that we're to give everything to him or we cannot be his disciple. We see this in Luke 14, um, and I'll read just a little bit of it here. Uh, he says uh, in verse 33, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus gave some examples. He gave the example of the king who goes to meet an army and doesn't seem to have uh, enough to defeat the army and ends up having to come to peace or someone who's building a tower. He goes to build a tower and he didn't plan out this project. Right. And he looks like an idiot because he uh, he didn't have uh, all the materials and he didn't count the cost to make sure that he could complete it. Right. So he looks foolish. Um, so Jesus likens this to the one who um, doesn't count the cost in discipleship. Um, and Jesus is not saying that it's not possible to become his disciple. What he's saying is that if you don't forsake all that you have, it evidences the fact that you aren't his at all. Um, so it's a mark of a believer. And this would include our sin, right? As we're going through our lives and we're um, walking in the Christian life, we're not to treasure sin. As, of, as Christians, we are to give everything to our Lord, including the sins that we love. Um, it doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, doesn't mean we're flawless or above reproach in, in the sense of perfection, but it means that our lives are one that is constantly submitting itself and growing in submission uh, to Jesus Christ as we um, go along. It's, it's a self-denial. Jesus talks about this as well, Luke 9, uh, 23 through 27. As then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? So we're to be sanctified and we're to mortify sin 
as part of this denial process. We're picking up our cross. We're laying aside um, those things that we love. Um, and this is really, I think, the danger of the anti-lordship crowd. Those who would say that, you know, we're, we don't need to repent. Repentance isn't necessary for salvation. Um, you don't really need to live a holy life because that's just works. So that's actually confusing what Sean had already addressed, right? The It's conflating um, sanctification with justification, essentially, and not seeing the difference between the two, that works are an outflow of the faith that you have. It's a conflation thinking that somehow dis wanting to repent and live obediently is somehow meriting something. That is it's garbage. That is utter foolishness. Um, it, so that is a dangerous, dangerous teaching. Holiness is absolutely necessary for the Christian. And if there is no holiness, there is no life, no spiritual life. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Um, but we see this, we see this very, uh, very much taught in the scriptures. Uh, John Owen, you know, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? You must always be at it while you live. Do not take a day off from this work. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. Your position in Christ and the new life that you have in him does not excuse you from this work. Those who neglect mortification allow the inner man to perish, end quote. So we must be vigilant. We cannot take a day off of fighting sin. Um, and it may seem like that we're spinning our wheels or, you know, we have what's called besetting sins that sometimes come upon us and we feel like that we're not getting anywhere. We're not growing in our sanctification. We're not to give up. And that's why we look to the one who satisfied the, the perfect law of God on our behalf that we can't keep. And I think that seeing ourselves spinning our wheels is a, a lesson in humility because it helps us to remember that we can't do it on our own and we're going to fail if we try to do it on our own um, and, and only relying on ourselves. But the one who, is, who has accomplished the law of God for us will give us grace to push through these things. And we, and we do it out of proper love for, uh, for Christ, uh, and that gives us motivation to, uh, to move on and push through these things. And question 94 is actually tied uh, to this as well. Uh, what is the dying or mortifying of the old man? Answer, to be truly and heartily sorry that you have offended God by your sins and daily more and more hate and avoid them. So this is uh, talking about godly sorrow, right? A godly sorrow. Uh, we see uh, in different places, Psalm 38, 18 for I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. Um, 2 Corinthians 7, 8-11, through 11, where Paul is contrasting with the Corinthians the difference between a worldly sorrow and a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow that led to repentance and a worldly sorrow that does not. Um, so there's there's a proper way to, to mourn over sin. We are to, we are to have sorrow over our sin. Uh, we've offended God. Um, and that doesn't mean that uh, we put on, you know, a a show where we're having a, a false humility or a false uh, repentance that that or, or an outward just a merely an outward show of repentance while that's not necessarily a bad thing um, we're to rend as Joel uh, says that we're to rend our hearts and not our garments you see this in Joel 2 13 so rend your heart and not your garments return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger and of great kindness 
and he relents from doing harm. So outward mourning really um, does not matter as much as the heart does. And, and we even see a fake repentance even in the outward mourning. In Hebrews 12, 16 through 18, unless there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Why? Because his heart was in the wrong place. He wasn't concerned because he had violated God's law. He was concerned because uh, he wasn't going to get the benefits of the birthright as the firstborn. Um, so it was a worldly sorrow. Um, but we are to be heartily sorry for our sin. We've offended God. We're to, um, we're to repent of these things, and, and that should be a motivator for us to uh, put sin uh, to death. Nishan, do you want to add anything to those two questions? Yeah, going back to the first question and the discussion mm -hmm. about repentance and faith, it is important that we understand that they're related context, or concepts, and uh, repentance is not a work. I think some people have the idea when they hear repentance that um, it's uh, it's really penance or doing something. But uh, as John the Baptist says to the Pharisees who came after him, you brood of vipers uh, who warned you to flee the wrath to come, bear mm -hmm. fruit in keeping with repentance. So bear fruit in mm -hmm. keeping with repentance. The fruit is not the repentance, but it's something that comes from the repentance. Uh, repentance... Uh, the Greek word that underlies that metanoia just means to change your mind, right? Um, change your mind how? Change your mind in regards to God, um, that he is right, he is worthy to be followed. Change your mind in regards to Jesus, that he is He is Lord, he is God, he is the Son of God, um, that he is right and worthy to be followed. And change your mind about sin, the sin that we once pursued, we recognize now as evil, to live selfishly as evil. And we don't do that anymore. Um, and in that regard, it's it, it's a, a perfect a companion to faith. How can you say that you believe, you believe in Jesus, but then say, oh, but I don't need to repent. I don't need to follow him. What you're, mm. what you're saying really is that Jesus isn't worthy to be followed. And honestly, he doesn't know what he's talking about when he tells me what's right or not, because I'm going to do what I want to do. And clearly, I think that's better. Um, hmm. These are related concepts, and you really can't have one without the other. And that's why you'll see in the Bible, sometimes when it, uh, it's discussing how to be saved, it'll just say to repent. Other times it'll say to believe, and sometimes it'll use both words. Um, if you don't understand these are related, although distinct concepts, you're going to be very confused when you're hmm. reading through the Bible. And it comes to like, well, how, how is it that I'm saved? Is it is it this one? Is it this one? No, they're, they're related concepts, and sometimes uh, the author of scripture, of that particular scripture, is trying to bring out the repentance aspect, or sometimes he's trying to bring out the faith aspect, or, or both. Um, but they're, they're related concepts, and you really cannot have one without the other. Hmm. All right, in that case, we will move on to question 95. What is the renewing or quickening of the new man? Answer, true joy in God through Christ and an earnest desire to order your life according to the will, uh, to God's will and to do all good works. Uh, so my initial reaction to reading this question was something to the effect of, oh, well, that's not 
quite right. Regeneration is about turning uh, the dead sinner alive. So the beginning of this answer, which was what I was focusing on, uh, that the quickening of the new man is true joy in God through Christ um, struck me as odd. But then I thought about it and read the question a little closer. Um, this is turning uh, the sinner to God. And uh, the sinner now has joy in Christ and lives for him and desires to serve him. It is a joy to the Christian to serve the Lord because he now embraces the fact that he is worthy. Um, so some of the proof texts here, uh, Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I read this proof text and was a little thrown by it as it doesn't explicitly say that being born again is to have true joy in God. Uh, however, with just reading through this, um, when you read, we have peace with God, doesn't that just fill you with peace when you hear it? We have peace with God, and that peace leads to joy. Um, another proof text, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then moving on to the proof texts about um, uh, um, ordering your life, a desiring to order your life according to God's will and to do God's works. Um, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but uh, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Um, and just backing up a little bit, um, because you have a uh, uh, therefore at the beginning of this uh, this um, section, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, um, what is the therefore, therefore? We um, go back to the previous verse, uh, 1136, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. So the reason why we are presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice um, and we're not being trans, uh, conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind is because uh, for uh, to him and through him, uh, for of him and through him and to him are all things. All things are to the glory of God. And we recognize that as Christians so that we want to serve the one who is worthy. And then Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave, myself, gave himself for me. Um, so we have been crucified. We're, we're living, but we're not living. It's Christ living in us. And we're doing this in recognition that Christ gave his life for us. That he's, that love, how can you not, without being evil, how can you not, attempt to live for that one who loved us like that. Um, did you have anything you wanted to add there, Dan? Um, just that the love or understanding, I think when you really understand uh, the gospel in that way, that the one who did love us like that, um, that really is a motivator for us to obey. You know, how can we sin against the one who showed us that love, right? And I think that kind of goes back to the 
uh, understanding of the grief and repentance. We grieve because we've offended God, the one who loved us, the one who died for us, the one who saved us. Um, and so it carries more weight when we sin against him, or it should anyways. Um, so it's something I think to keep in mind, and, and it helps us to be sober-minded as we think about uh, how we're living our lives. If we're cherishing a pet sin, we're really we're blaspheming the love of God. We're uh, spitting in God's face because we are um, loving that thing more than him in spite of what he did for us. Um, so it, it, that really helps to, I think, motivate us and put things in perspective as it relates to holy living. Yeah. Even the pagan world loves those who love them. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a twisted sort of love, but it is still in some sense love, right? They love those that love uh, them, that do things for them. How much more should we love the one who loved us, who gave up his life for us and died a brutal mm. death on the cross, the wrath of God being poured out upon him. There's nothing, there's no greater, greater thing that could ever be done to you than that period. Mm. So how much more should, we, if you're, if you're willing to love people who loved you, you by in, in an infinite difference, you should be willing to love Christ. Yeah. It's like when, someone does something great for you, you feel like you owe them, right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, I, I owe you one. You know, yeah. you, you got me out of this sticky situation. Thanks. You know, I, I'll come back yeah. and do you a favor later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But how much more should we uh, have an attitude of thankfulness and dedication to our Lord, you know, who gave his life for us willingly um, in spite of our rebellion? Yep. All right. Final question. Question 96. What are good works? Answer, those only which are done by a true faith, according to God's law, and are referred only to his glory, and not those which are imagined by us as seeming to be right and good, or which are delivered and commanded by men. I struggled a little bit with this question, or this answer. Um, the first part, those only which are done by a true faith. And the citation is Romans 14.23, um, which says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. And I had a little bit of trouble with this because it seems that uh, Mr. Collins is applying uh, the principle from Romans 14 for all good works. And I don't know if I agree with that um, because contextually Romans 14.23 is in the immediate context of talking about things that are uh, I guess, amoral or indifferent um, with regards to how we're to handle things, meat offered to idols, whether you eat vegetables or whatever, um, indifferent things. Um, and so I, I think that this passage in Romans 14, 23 is talking about uh, things that are not done uh, from a, a pure conscience or not done out of believing that it's right to do, even if it's a, an amoral thing. Um, it, I, I think that's really more what it's talking about. He's not condemned if he eats meat because he believes it to be good and sees it as good and he's clear. his conscience is clear from it. He's doing it, believing it is right. He's not. But if he doesn't do it from that perspective, if he's not eating from faith, he's not eating in good conscience and good faith, then it would be sin for him. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I would agree with uh, Colin's um, application of Romans 14.23 here. 
But I think the principle there is uh, pretty sound that uh, good works are to come from true faith. We've already talked about that. Our good works flow from the faith that we have uh, in God. It's not something that uh, we can do on our own in our own wicked, sinful, dead state. Um, there is an obedience that we need to have that flows from good works, uh, that flows from that faith. And that is considered uh, true good works because they flow from faith. And I would even say that the the act of faith itself flowing from regeneration is itself a good work, and that uh, is coming from God. So you could even go um, a step farther back um, with regards to that as well. Um, but we're to do good works for his own glory. And, and this is talking again about the heart attitude as it relates to good works. Um, so, or I'm sorry, according to God's law and then for his own glory. First uh, Samuel 15.22, uh, this is... We're actually reading for Samuel in our family devotions, and th this passage here is in the context of Samuel rebuking Saul, if I recall correctly. Uh, so Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Uh, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. So we're to obey God's law. When God says to do something, we need to do it. You know, the outward workings of going through the ceremonial law um, just for the sake of that is not going to uh, please God. In context here, Saul was told to kill, I think it was the Amalekites, and wipe them out, put all of them to the sword. But what did Saul do? He said, I'm going to keep the best of the livestock. Oh, and I kept the king alive, you know, even though I was supposed to kill him. Um, and so what was Saul's excuse? Oh, I'm going to, I wanted to sacrifice him to the Lord. You know, I want to take the best even though he was commanded that he was supposed to put every living thing to the sword, which he did not. Um, so Samuel's saying here, okay, you want to sacrifice? Well, obeying God is better than, than wanting to sacrifice. Okay, your intentions might be good, and you want to worship God in that way, but you need to obey him. He said to obey, just obey him. Do what he said to do first. That's more important than wanting to go through um, religious motions that you might think, uh, are pleasing to God. What's pleasing to God is actually doing what he commanded. So we're to do that which is in accordance with God's law. And then the end of those uh, good works is to be to the glory of God, and, and Colin says are referred only to his glory. They're to, the end goal is the glory of God, and not those which are imagined by us as seeming to be right and good or which are delivered and commanded by men. So this would be imposing our own legalistic rules um, on others, or even coming up with our own rules that we somehow think are righteous um, that really are not commanded in Scripture, right? Uh, what we think is right and good when it really isn't right and good. We need to let Scripture be our guide, always following the prescriptive rules that has, uh, God has laid out in His Word for how we are to live, and that's ultimately through his law and through those other prescriptive uh, commands that were given in Scripture. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit of our confession because I think it lays out some of these things very uh, helpfully. And, and I'm not going to read all of this, but I think some of them are helpful. Um, chapter 16, this is the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Chapter 16, paragraph 1. 
Uh, good works are only such as God hath commanded in his holy word, and not such as without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intentions. Like I said, Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he had good intentions. He wanted to sacrifice to the Lord. That's a good thing, right? But he disobeyed the direct command of God in order to impose what he thought was good and his own rules, his own regulations, his own, quote, zeal onto uh, instead of doing what God had commanded. Um, so it wasn't really a good work, right? Because it was not done uh, properly. Um, and then uh, paragraph seven of chapter 16, talking about works done by unregenerate men, which I think is important too. Uh, works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them, they may be things which God commands and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from a heart, a heart purified by faith, nor done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end to the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God, nor make a man meet to receive grace from God, and yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing to God. So you, it, it almost seems like Collins was pulling from the confession because it's almost identical language here. But in other words, uh, works that are done not from a saved heart, a regenerated heart, are uh, displeasing to God. They're not; It's not purified by faith. They're works that are not coming from a changed heart. Um, it, even those things that are perceived as good, that might outwardly conform to the law of God, are sinful in a sense. And, and that some people cannot get their heads wrapped around that, um, that... Every single thing that an unbeliever does, no matter what he does, is sinful apart from Christ. Um, that is how far we have fallen. Um, this We see this very clearly in Romans 3, that there is none who does good, no, not one. There's none who seeks after God. Not one iota of our being seeks after God. We hate God and we love our sin. Um, so all of the works that we do no matter how much they outwardly conform to the law of God, are sinful. They miss the mark, right? They're missing the mark. It falls short of the glory of God. It's missing the mark. It's it's the lack of, of good. But when we are saved, we are, as, as Paul says, we are now uh, new creatures, right? He's a new creation, right? And with that, we can actually do that which is pleasing to God because our hearts have been changed. We've been regenerated. We have faith. We can um, walk in a way that is pleasing to God. Our desires have been changed so we can actually have pure motives now. Not perfectly, but uh, we can have uh, a true desire to glorify God in the works that we do. And so they're considered good works. We can say, yes, those are truly good works that don't contribute to our salvation, that don't uh, make us in better standing with God from a judicial standpoint, but um, that do uh, but that do please Him uh, in a sense because uh, they are really good works. So uh, I think this is a good place to to talk about the gospel as well. You know, if you're listening and uh, you do not believe in these things, and you are um, maybe trusting in your own works. Your works are sinful in the eyes of God apart from Christ. They will not get you anywhere. You will only earn hell. That's all you will merit. You will not merit heaven. You will not merit Christ from your own works. You will merit hell because your works do not meet 
that standard, that which is perfection. God has laid out that perfection is needed in order to see him. No man can see God and live. Why? Because we are sinful. We are sinful and God is not. God is perfect. Um, so we need the righteousness of another because we've broken God's law. We need the righteousness of somebody else. And the only one who has done that is Jesus Christ. He kept God's law perfectly. And if we believe in him by faith and faith alone, we will receive that gift of, uh, of righteousness, which uh, is imputed to our account as if we paid the penalty for sin and as if we kept the law of God perfectly. Um, and we don't have to live our lives trying to uh, meet this unattainable standard. We rest in what Christ has done, and then we walk in obedience freely, not to earn anything, but because we love him, and we want to please him, and we desire to please him. It will be a natural outflowing of the changed heart. So, Sean and I plead with you, if you're listening and and you do not uh, believe in these things, to turn to Christ by faith and faith alone, and you will receive this gift, um, and you will be able to actually uh, display and, and walk in good works. Um, otherwise, you will continue uh, to reap judgment on yourself uh, because of the way you are walking. But with that, um, I think that is all for tonight. Thank you for joining us. Um, Lord willing, next next Saturday, the 18th, uh, we will be having Brother Josh Sommer, who some of you might have seen on Facebook and, and on social media um, and some of his work. Uh, but we will be having him on the show next week, Lord willing, to talk about his new book, uh, Marvel, Misery, and Mercy. Um, and it's actually a commentary on this catechism that we're talking about. It's going to be in three volumes. He only has volume one out now. But uh, we will be talking, interviewing him, talking about his book next week, Lord willing. Um, so join us for that. But until then, have a great weekend. And Lord bless you all. Um, have a great Lord's Day.